Welcome to the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, Live the Big Stuff podcast with your host, New York Times bestselling author, Christine Carlson. Over the next several weeks, Chris will bring you the top experts in fitness, health, and nutrition in the Your Health is Your Wealth interview series. Christine's mission for the supportive offering is to inspire you to develop the mindset it takes to be fit and healthy for the rest of your lifetime. Listen in and discover why your health is truly your greatest wealth. And now, Christine Carlson. Hi, and welcome back to the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, Live the Big Stuff podcast. Before we begin today, I'd like to just go ahead and take our golden pause. So wherever you are, just sit comfortably, sit relaxed. If you're driving, just pay attention to the road. This is nothing more than a breathing exercise to get you very present in your body and centered for this call. So go ahead and close your eyes. Sit comfortably with your hands open on your lap, your head upright, your spine aligned, and just begin to breathe with me. Breathe in through your nose, and as you do so, allow your chest and your belly to expand, allowing the maximum amount of oxygen to come into your system. And as you exhale, just let go of any tension, any anxiety, any excitement, anything you feel that's tense in your body, just let it all go. And as you breathe in, breathe in sunlight. Fill your entire body with sunlight, all the way to the tip of your head, to your toes, to your fingers, through your arms, your whole body. Just allow sunlight to fill your body. And as you exhale, Let go of any tension, let go of any fear, and just relax. Allow your hands to be heavy, your legs to relax. Just sink in. And this time as you breathe in, breathe in love. Fill your whole body with love. Fill your heart with love. Fill your tummy with love. Just fill yourself up with love. And as you exhale, Let go of fear. Just let it all go. And this time, as you breathe in, breathe in sunlight and place your hand on your heart, activating your heart, opening your heart. And just think of something you're incredibly grateful for. Could be this moment, it could be your breath, could be anything. Just spend a moment there. And this time as you breathe in, exhale and open your eyes. Doesn't that feel so good just to take that golden pause? So I am so excited to invite this very special guest on to the podcast today as part of your Health is Your Wealth series. Now, I had this idea to do this series because that's what I'm most interested in right now. At 52, I'm most interested in how I can be the most healthy I can be. So because I have this podcast, it puts me in a great position. I can interview some awesome people. So today we have Dr. Mark Hyman. Dr. Hyman believes that we all deserve a life of vitality and that we have the potential to create it for ourselves. That's why he is dedicated to tackling the root causes of chronic disease by harnessing the power of functional medicine 
to transform healthcare. Dr. Hyman and his team work every day to empower people, organizations, and communities to heal their bodies and minds and improve our social and economic resilience. Dr. Hyman is practicing family medicine. He's a nine-time number one New York Times bestselling author. Wow, you're up there with my late husband, Dr. Richard Carlson. <laughs> it's actually number 10 now. This book hit number 10. That's amazing. Woohoo! And an internationally recognized leader, speaker, educator, and advocate of his field. He is the director of, Cle of the Cleveland Clinic for Functional Medicine. He's also the founder and medical director of the Ultra Wellness Center, chairman of the board of the Institute for Functional Medicine, medical editor for the Huffington Post, and he was a regular medical contributor on many television shows, including CBS This Morning, The Today Show, CNN, and The View, Katie, and The Dr. Oz Show. Dr. Hyman works with individuals and organizations as well as policymakers and influencers. He has testified before both the White House Commission on Complementary and Alternative Medicine and the Senate Working Group on Healthcare Reform on Functional Medicine. Mm. He has consulted with the Surgeon General on Diabetes Prevention and participated in the 2009 White House Forum on Prevention and Wellness. Senator Tom Harkin of Iowa nominated Dr. Hyman for the President's Advisory Group on Prevention, Health Promotion, and Integrative and Public Health. In addition, Dr. Hyman has worked with President Clinton presenting at the Clinton Foundation's Health Matters, Achieving Wellness in Every Generation Conference, and the Clinton Global Initiative, as well as with the World Economic Forum on Global Health Issues. He is the winner of the, of the Linus... Pauling Award. Wow, you don't have to read all of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's pretty cool. Like, I'm glad I didn't read this before I decided to call you for this interview. I thought this guy'd never show up. He is way, way too big a name. <laughs> so, thank you for being here. No, it's it's fascinating, and I'm sure our listeners want to know all of this. So, please let me go on. Just let your humble self sit there. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Hyman also works with fellow leaders in his field to help people and communities thrive. With Rick Warren, Dr. Oz, Dr. who is that, Mehmet Oz? Yeah. Yep. And is on the board of Dr. Oz's Health Corps, which tackles the obesity epidemic by educating American students about nutrition. With Dr. Dean Ornish and Dr. Michael Royzen, Dr. Hyman crafted and helped to introduce the Take Back Your Health Act of 2009 to the United States Senate to provide for reimbursement of lifestyle treatment of chronic I'm disease. Give you a short bio next time. I know. Okay. Well, anyways, you can find out more about him and read up on read him at www.drhyman.com. <laughs> and he, of course, is on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. So, Dr. Hyman, welcome. Hi. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Well, I. Um, I've been following you for some time, and I was particularly um, excited about this new book, Eat Fat, Get Thin. I mean, not only, it's kind of like, I was thinking another great title would be The Skinny on Fat, you know? <laughs> That's a chapter in there. <laughs> oh, is that a chapter in there? Yes. All right, cool. Along with separating fat from fiction. <laughs> okay, yeah, there you go, there you go. So this is was particularly interesting to me because... I, of course, like you, grew up in the whole low-fat movement and era and, you know, took that one, you know, hook, line, and sinker like everyone else for a while until, until all the 
I started realizing like all those things were chemicals and, you know, mm. packaged and too much processing and stuff. Mm -hmm. But I'd like to start there with you, if it's all right, just to talk about the myths of the whole low fat thing. And how did you come about discovering that that wasn't healthy for us? Well, I mean, this isn't my idea. This is actually yeah. happening across the culture. I just right. wrote a book about it because it was still so stuck in people's minds that fat was bad, that fat makes you fat, that fat and even though the government finally has overturned 35 years of bad advice telling us to eat low fat, and now they actually say, okay, guess what? You know, there's no limit on total fat anymore in the diet because we've unable to connect it to heart disease or obesity. And by the way, we also got rid of cholesterol as a, as a nutrient we should be worried about. We basically go ahead and eat your whole egg. We kind of screwed up on that. Eggs are back. So, you know, we, we kind of are moving in that direction, but people are still so confused. And it all happened because we had some sort of crazy ideas that weren't really validated in science, which was actually not so crazy when you think about it. Fat on the food looks like the fat on your body. It's the same word. Seems like fat makes you fat and it's got more calories than carbs and protein. So the it was a math thing, calories in, calories out. But metabolism is not a math problem. We finally discovered that. It's more of a hormonal issue. Right. It's driven by the quality of your diet. And there's a lot of information in food far beyond the calories that governs everything that happens in your body. So that was sort of one big change that happened. And that's been fairly new that we, we kind of understand that calories are not all the same. And, and by the way, this is not something that people actually still, uh, in terms of doctors, nutritionists, most uh, professional associations are still on the whole calorie concept, which is that all calories are equal. They're really not. And we can go into that. And the second issue was the whole heart disease thing. We saw that countries that seemed to eat more fat had more heart disease and more saturated fat. But it, they were really poorly done studies. This was done in the 50s. The quality wasn't that great, and everybody kind of jumped on that bandwagon. Ansel Keys, I wrote about in the book, he fact get then, talked about how there were these seven countries that seemed to have an association with heart disease, but there was other factors involved. They ate more sugar, they had more processed food. So it was really not really a valid study. It didn't prove cause and effect, right? And so we, but everybody jumped on that bandwagon, and the government jumped on the bandwagon, and the professional associations like the American Heart Association jumped on the bandwagon. And then the, then the food industry, when the government said, Hey, let's, uh, let's cut out the fat. They were like, yeah, sure. And we'll like cut out all the fat from our foods and we'll put in uh, low fat foods with full of sugar. So all of a sudden we went from, you know, being fairly still high in sugar to being extraordinarily high in sugar. Everything's got sugar in it. So you take the fat out, everything tastes bad. So you have to put something else in, you put in sugar, right? If you take right. the fat out, what does it taste like? Cardboard, right? Right. And 80% of them have added sugar. 80%? Yeah, 80% have added sugar. So we kind of, I mean, we have sh sugar in our yogurt. I mean, your morning yogurt yep. has more sugar than a soda. You've got, you know, it's not a health food. You, it's a movie called The Sugar Film. I think it's called The Sugar Film about a guy who goes and eats all this, quote, healthy food, like granola bars and yogurt and things that aren't, we don't think of as bad, but he actually gets diabetes and like gets, or his blood sugar goes way up and he gets fatty liver and he gains all this weight from eating what we thought are healthy foods, but and they're that's not. a documentary? The sugar film? Yeah, the sugar film, yes. Yeah, so oh, wow. I made it. It's great. And then, you know, we have also the concept that, you know, uh, we should be, we should be eating really low fat because it's got less calories, but it just doesn't work. And then, and, and the sugar that they put in the food is really much worse for us. Well, but like fat isn't fat, right? So there's really good fats, of course, and there's bad fats. And that's really right. what you're recommending in eat yeah. fat, get thin. Yeah, exactly. Pretty much all sugar is created equal and it's all equally bad, right? And, and you can have it occasionally, but it's a treat, not a staple. And also flour. Flour is equally bad, whether it's gluten-free flour or regular flour, flour products and things.
made from flour are just like sugar. So you kind of have to lump them together. In fact, flour raises your blood sugar more than table sugar. So we've got, you know, the sugar thing. But the fat thing is sort of confusing. The sugar is easy, but fat, there's good fats, there's bad fats. There's like, well, what about all these different questions about fat? And that's really why I wrote the book, because I realized I answered a lot of the questions about sugar, but I hadn't really discussed these issues of fat in detail. And I, I was confused. Even as someone who spent my life studying nutrition and diet, you know, I had a good understanding, but not a great understanding. And then and the, the scientists are polar opposite in terms of what being, what's being said now. Some say saturated fat's good. Some say it's bad. Some say omega-6 fats are good. Some say they're bad. And it's confusing for the average doctor, layperson, anybody to kind of make sense of it all. So that's why I wrote the book. And, and I talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly fats. And, and it's really helpful for people to understand like what we know, what we don't know, what we still need to know. That's great. So can you give us just a couple of examples of the good versus the bad? Sure. I know it's so, a very thick book, so I know we can't cover all of it. That's <laughs> no, okay. It's okay. So, so let's go into some of the issues. So the issues are the bad fat's easy. The, 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 the ugly fat is basically trans fat. That's margarine, shortening, hydrogenated fat. And that was put in everything because we thought, we thought lard and butter were bad. So we took those out and we put in margarine and shortening, which were worse, <laughs> actually worse. And, and so we actually um, made a big mistake. And now the government has said that trans fats are no longer considered safe to eat, thank God. But it was after many decades of knowing this. They kill many people from heart attacks and cancer, diabetes, obesity. Uh, and they were in everything. They were in every processed food, every packaged food. It's trans fat, hydrogenated fat. It's still there, even though the government said to get rid of it, it's going to take a bunch of years. So, so make sure you read the labeling of the word hydrogenate. Never eat that. The second are the good fats. Everybody kind of agrees on this. Now, there's a few people who still are holdouts and say we should all be eating super low fat diets for preventing disease. I don't think the evidence really supports that anymore. I go through the evidence in my book. But the, uh, the, the good fats are fish oil, like the omega-3 fats. Everybody agrees with that. The other fats are like olive oil, extra virgin olive oil and avocados, nuts and seeds. Everybody agrees with that. So there's no con controversy about that, really. It's been shown to reduce weight, reduce diabetes, reduce heart disease risk, um, and many, many benefits. <clears throat> so then there's the ones that are more in the middle, right? What about saturated fat, right? So right. let's just do vegetables for a minute. So vegetable oils are things that some people say we should be consuming a lot more of. We should eat less saturated fat and more vegetable oils. 10% of our calories is soybean oil. It's highly processed. It's extracted with solvents and heat in ways that can damage the oil. It also probably contains glyphosate, by the way, which is from Roundup Ready soybeans, which are most of the soybeans. Uh, and it contains high levels of omega-6 fats, which um, in the form of that oil, not, not omega-6 fats aren't bad, you need them, but in the form of not eating them in whole foods, they, they, they are consumed in huge amounts that are unbalanced for our omega-3 fats. And that leads to inflammation, oxidative stress, can affect your, your lipids in a bad way. So in some studies, they've found that, you know, when they look at all the polyunsaturated fats, that there's a reduction in the risk of heart attack. So they recommend eating more of those. Well, what, 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 what they don't actually go into is the difference between omega-6 and omega-3. So if you take a population, they're eating plenty of omega-3s and omega-6s, doesn't seem to be a problem. If they're not eating omega-3s and just adding omega-6s, which is, by the way, most of the American population is deficient in omega-3s, if you add the omega-6s, they are a problem, and they cause a lot of inflammation. In, in our diet, where, where do we find omega-3s and omega-6s so omega, in our omega diet? Omega-3s would be like sardines, 
right? Yeah, I don't, I don't ever eat sardines. <laughs> yeah, well, those are the best source. So uh, you can take fish oil supplements. Okay. Right? Salmon? You can, you can get wild fish, like wild yeah. salmon. You know, um, it's harder and harder hard to get wild foods. But, you know, we all had elk and deer. and omega- I mean, there's more omega-3s in grass-fed beef than there is in feedlot beef. So you can get it more from, like, grass-fed animals. The omega-3 chickens, you can get the cheese, which are great. You can buy omega-3 eggs. So, but those, those are really essential. And omega-6s are really from all these vegetable oils. Like, what is vegetable? Anyway, because m- m- corn oil, soybean oil, all these oils, safflower oil, canola oil. We all thought these were healthy oils. But it actually turns out they might not be so healthy when consumed in the quantities that we consume them. And, and it's better to get them from nuts and seeds, which is where they come from, right? Right. Uh, so, and then there's a saturated fat issue. It's so confusing because saturated fats, butter is butter bad and coconut oil and it's bad because it's got saturated fat and saturated fat kills and it causes heart attacks. Well, sadly, you know, we jumped to this conclusion without actually having all the facts. And now going back and looking at all the data, uh, there was a large review published last year. They looked at like 600,000 people, 72 countries, no, 72 studies, 19 countries. There was no connection between saturated fat, total fat and heart disease. Many, many other reviews show this as well. And, and, it's, and when you look at the overall composition of the diet, if you don't have st- sugar and starch combined with the fat, saturated fats don't seem to be a problem. And some of them are even protective. Now, they, don't, they do raise cholesterol, but they raise the good kind of cholesterol, HDL, and they actually probably lower the ratio of total cholesterol to HDL, which is a better predictor of cholesterol risk, the heart disease risk, than LDL. And also, it makes the kind of LDL you have better. It makes it large and fluffy and light, where sugar and carbs make them small and dense. In the absence of what I call sweet fat, right? Sweet fat is French fries, donuts, French, uh, ice cream, bread and butter, bagel and butter. Those are not good because you're combining saturated fat with sugar and starch. That's a deadly combo. That's called sweet fat. So you don't want to be eating that. So, But if you have you know, butter on your asparagus or something, I'm not worried about that at all. Right, you know, like the whole paleo craze, you know, it's like they, the paleo craze tells you butter's okay, you know, but probably not in like huge quantities or anything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, I, I don't think we have, I don't think we know. I don't think we know. I yeah. think I need a lot more experience. And also, there's so much genetic variation in the population that, that actually, <clears throat> in any individual, some people might do much better with saturated fat, others may not. Like, just like people are carbohydrate intolerant. Some people can tolerate much more grains and beans and starch. Others can't because they're more insulin-resistant or pre-diabetic. So it really depends on your overall genetics and your background and sort of health in terms of what you can actually eat and get away with. Wow, that's really cool. That's a lot of good information. It's all in the book. You want the references? <laughs> and uh, if people still want questions, I have a 45-minute Q&A on my website, EFAC, get there, and they can go listen to that if they want. Yeah, no, it's great. And so what about meat? Like, I know you just stated a lot of the healthy meats for the omega-3 fatty acids, right? Oh. So, yeah, yeah. so you would say, what, what would you say to somebody who would say they were on, that they wanted to go on a vegan diet? A vegan vegetarian. Well, you know, I just read a study yesterday that was published uh, where they looked at vegetarians, vegans, and they looked at their nutritional status. And they were deficient in a lot of nutrients, omega-3s, vitamin D, B12, iodine. I mean, it was quite shocking to see the level of nutritional deficiencies in vegetarians and vegans. So I think, I think there are nutrients in meat and animal products that you're not getting. Uh, you can supplement with them, but you kind of got to be smart. And you have to... So to be very vigilant to get everything you need as a vegetarian or vegan. It's right. doable, but it's not as easy. Um, 
Second is meat. You know, is it good? Is it bad for you? What's the deal? Right? So confusing because you kind of listen to the vegans. It's going to kill you. If you listen to paleo people, you got to live on that. It's like, wait a minute. What's going on here? Right? So I, I was like, well, look, I, I, I want to live to be 120. So I, I want to know what to do. And no, you want to live to be 120 and healthy. Exactly. So I want to feel good and have energy and still ski, do whatever I want to do. But I don't want to eat meat if it's going to kill me. Right. So from a personal point of view and also as a doctor for my patients, I wanted to know. So rather than sort of listening to the headlines, I kind of went and read between the lines. So I pulled all the studies. I wanted to see what actually, not what people said about the studies, but actually what they said and read the text and read the everything. So I, I kind of looked at them and I was like, wait a minute, there's three issues around me. One is moral, one is environmental, and one is health. We got to separate them out. Right. right. If you're a Buddhist monk, go ahead, be a vegetarian, vegan. I'm like, I've got Buddhist monks as patients. Happy to take care of them and yeah, it's give a them spiritual. Energy. It's a spiritual choice as well. Environmental, as their body. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Factory farming is the worst thing for the planet. It's climate change destroys our water uh, through pesticides and fertilizers. It depletes our aquifers. It destroys our soil. We use antibiotics and feed that creates super bugs. We use GMOs that who knows what they do. So like, there's all sorts of issues with it. Uh, and I think it's it's really needs to be dealt with on a social, political, environmental level. That's real. Now, if you look at grass-fed animals, sustainably raised animals, let's just put those aside and say, okay, well, those are quite different. And in fact, there's some people who say that restorative grazing um, actually can help put back carbon into the environment. I mean, it can take carbon out of the out of the atmosphere and restore grasslands and help prevent desertification and do all kinds of great things that you know we don't really think about animal husbandry doing, but it actually may restore the land. So there's there's a lot of arguments on both sides. But let's talk about the health issues. When you look at the meat studies that showed it's a problem, the people who ate meat were not healthy people because typically we all thought that red meat's bad. We've been taught red meat's bad. So if you're eating meat, you basically don't care about your health, right? So you smoke more, you drink more, you exercise less, you ate less fruits and vegetables, you ate more food, you ate eight or more calories, you didn't take your vitamins. Of course, you had more disease. Of course, you had more heart disease, right? It right. was a, it was like. A skewed population. And they try to control for all those factors, but you really can't. All those Texans. <laughs> yeah. And then you look at that, and then you look on the other hand, there's studies where they looked at meat eaters and vegetarians who shopped at health food stores. So what if you're a meat eater who shopped at Whole Foods as opposed to, you know, the grocery store with all processed food? So if you're eating meat in the context of an overall healthy diet, what does that do? Well, they actually found that there was a reduction in death by half both the meat eaters and the vegetarians. So that was fascinating to me. And then if you look at many, many other data, it's really very, very hard to take a connection between, and there's many studies that show actually meat eating may increase uh, benefits of health. So I think, I think we have to kind of look carefully at what we mean by meat and then what we're eating in the context of, and then look at you know, overall um, sort of issues. So I think, I think for me, I don't think milk, meat is harmful. I think grass-fed meat is much more rich in nutrients, omega-3 fats. I think I, I would say use animal products as a condiment as a main as opposed to a main dish. Most of your plate should be vegetables and plant foods and then with meat as a side dish. Yeah, now and we're even really discovering that um, even eating a lot of fruit, you know, because it's so high in fructose and sugar as it goes into the body, right? Isn't even that great. But maybe like berries or whatever probably is a yeah. condiment too or good. Yeah, it depends. You know, like if you're if you're someone who's fit and not insulin resistant and pre-diabetic, you know, you can tolerate more fruit. If you're someone who's like pre-diabetic or diabetic, fruit's going to be more of an issue. 
Right. So it depends what your metabolism is. That's what really matters. And I think if you look at the certain fruits are more sugary, like and some are less. So berries are less and kiwis and apples and pears and watermelon all less, whereas like melons and pineapple or grapes and, and more. So you don't want to be binging on grapes. Yeah, that's so true. All right, so let's talk about what is a typical diet day for you. Like what do you wake up and eat in the morning through your whole day till the time you go to bed? <laughs> well, I just asked JJ uh, Virgin that question too. <laughs> What did she say? Well, she told me what she ate. I'm asking you what you eat. Oh, well. I typically, uh, you know, I, I'm super busy, right? So I love to cook. I love to make delicious meals. I love to cook with recipes. I don't have that much time to do it except on weekends or sometimes when I have friends over. I usually eat pretty simply. And I'll start out with like what I call a fat shake, which is basically nuts and seeds. So hemp seeds, chia seeds, pumpkin seeds. I put in walnuts, almond butter, coconut butter, berries, coconut milk, you know, throw some other stuff in there. Uh, and that's what I blend it up. And it's basically fat and protein and fiber and, and antioxidant-rich berries, right? So it's a very low glycemic, very high-protein, higher-fat breakfast. I put a dollop of coconut butter in there. That keeps me going all morning. Yeah. And then another <laughs> breakfast I'll have will be like some poached eggs or maybe lightly sauteed eggs and olive oil with a sliced avocado with sliced tomato, maybe some stir-fried greens, and I put some olive oil on that. And it's like, so fat on fat on fat. I got a whole egg, I got olive oil, I got avocados, lots of good fats. Same thing, lunch, I'll have a salad, it's easy. I'll throw a bunch of greens in, I'll put pumpkin seeds, avocados, olives, all of which contain great fats. And I put some olive oil dressing and other fats, so like four different kinds of fats. And it's a, I call it a fat salad. <laughs> and then, but uh, it's filling, right? I mean, and, and that's, isn't that's that kind of the I, I nice throw thing? A salmon on it, a wild salmon, I might throw sardines on there. So I think it's really uh, simple. And then put some olive oil vinegar dressing, just very, very simple. Very simple. And then, and that, I mean, the shake takes me three minutes. The salad takes me five minutes to make, throw everything, you know, just throw everything in there. Might throw, open a can of artichoke hearts or something. Or And then and then uh, dinner I make simple. It's like just sauteed something like uh, maybe a piece of chicken, fish, um, piece of lamb, occasionally beef, rarely. Uh, and then... Um, and then I'll have a ton of veggies. So like I have three sides of veggies. So I'll make stir-fried asparagus. I'll make um, like a side of tomato salad with cucumbers. I'll make and avocados. I'll make, um, you know, mushrooms, like grilled mushrooms. So I just make a bunch of veggies. So I fill up on veggies and I have a small piece of protein. And then maybe I'll have a starch sometimes, not every night, like a sweet potato or half a sweet potato or have some black rice. And then if I want a dessert, I'll have, um, you know, I'll have like a frozen blackberries, which are super full of antioxidants, and I'll throw a can of coconut milk in the blender with them, and you blend it up, it's like ice cream, you don't have to put any sugar or anything. Oh, yum. Yeah. Yum. And it's you know, so quick, like the, the whole th three meals in a whole day will take me 30 minutes. I know, that that's the thing, it is so simple to cook this way. I mean, I, I kind of have always cooked this way just because it is so simple. <laughs> But I love the way, I also love the way it tastes. I love to eat things that are just yeah. really whole. It's so much more, like when you go to Europe and, and you live in Europe for a while, it's just, that's how they live. They live like so close to the land and everything is just so much more whole. Their meals are longer, everything's slower. It's, it's, it's so true. Yeah. We get so, we get so revved up in the States and we're wolfing everything down and there's this whole, the whole fast food craze and stuff. It's crazy. So yeah, I love that. Well, gosh, thanks for sharing that with us. And I want you to um, spend some time and tell us about your 21-day eat fat, get thin plan because I know everybody's going to want to look at that. 
Well, you know, I, I wrote the book because I wanted people to have a clear idea about what to eat. And I did review 500 references that are in the book, over 1,000 in total. And I, it all, all in there, how he got in this big fat mass, the slippery science of fat, the good, bad, and the ugly fats. What about saturated fat? What about me? What about omega-6 oils? What about coconut oil? What about this? What about that? So you have all the answers in there. But I also wanted to give people a practical solution. What do I do? Because that's what people care about at the end of the day, which is why I created a 21-day plan. 21 days is a great amount of time because it gives you three weeks to solidify habits, to see the change in your body. And we had a thousand people do this. They, of course, they lost 7,000 pounds. They dropped their blood sugar 20 plus points, blood pressure 10 points on average. They had a drop in their overall symptoms from all diseases by 68%. That's what I call FLC syndrome. You know, when you have FLC syndrome, that's when you feel like crap. Yeah. You know? Well, that gets better. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. All headaches, digestive issues, joint pain, fatigue, depression, all those things get better when you change your diet and put in the real food. It's the right information, the right quality of food, your body responds dramatically. So that was basically what happened. But also people's cravings went down. People had 80% of the time had cravings at the beginning for sugar and carbs. At the end, only 1%. And then they, they basically ate real food. So I had them eating you know, good quality fats with every meal, whether it's olives, avocados, nuts and seeds, olive oil, a little bit of coconut butter. Even grass-fed butter is fine. Grass-fed meats is fine. Fish, fatty fish is great. And then lots of veggies. And I have a whole plan there of exactly what to eat. I call it the pegan diet, which is sort of a joke between paleo and vegan, right? Because everybody's so polarized. I try to create something a little more common ground. <laughs> and, uh, and, it, and it works because it's real food. It works because it's anti-inflammatory. It works because it's low sugar and low glycemic. It's work because it adds the right foods in, including the right fats. And, and it really is a very simple plan to follow. And this includes um, as, aspects around exercise, around the right supplements to take, stress reduction, sleep, all those components are in the 21-day plan. It's really designed to give you a roadmap to take care of yourself for the rest of your life. And it's really not just 21 days. It's really actually get the plan for your whole life, which is really what this is all about. Yeah, it's a lifestyle. All yeah. right. Well, I'd just like to thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I know that um, my listeners are going to be so excited to hear all that you've shared today. And I personally am such a great fan of yours that it's been really a wonderful experience for me. So thank you, Dr. Hyman. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Okay. See ya. Bye. Thanks for listening to Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, Live the Big Stuff with Christine Carlson. Chris invites you to join her for the brand new What Now program, a six-week offering carefully designed to take you on your own unique journey through life-altering transition and lead you to self-discovery and your most vibrant life. Receive access to powerful audio teachings, an in-depth workbook, and deeply valuable insights on passion and joy from a beloved teacher. Visit ChristineCarlson.com to learn more about how you can be part of the What Now program.